If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 8. We want to look at verses 1 through 13. We want to look at this uh, topic for the next couple of weeks, persecutions and the gospel. We're looking at part 1 uh, here this morning. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background what's taking place. The persecution begins in Acts chapter 8. But we know that Stephen was one of the seven deacons chosen in the book of Acts chapter 6. In fact, he was the the first deacon uh, of the church, and he's arrested. And for blasphemy, uh, because the Sanhedrin said that he came against the Lord. And yet Stephen was a man of God. And so when we get to Acts chapter 7, he's before the Sanhedrin, uh, the 71 elect of Israel, and he gives testimony. He takes them from uh, the book of Genesis. He begins with Abraham, and he goes all the way through the Old Testament, and he takes them to the present time. And he speaks about the Messiah, which is Christ. And so we know that he was stoned to death. And we're going to see the beginning here of a man called Saul of Tarsus. We'll get more about him next week when he comes to saving grace. But he consented to the death of Stephen. The word to consent, he was a voting factor. I believe he was a strong voting factor uh, to stone him to death. But something happened in Saul's heart. He witnessed a man dying for Christ. He witnessed a man, the Bible says that he, he had the face of an angel. And he's looking up into the heavens and he asked the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The same words that Jesus said. And then he gave up the ghost. Something stirred in his heart. And so now the persecution begins. And here we have Saul of Tarsus in verse 1. The book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Speaking of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the the church, which was at Jerusalem. And then they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now this Saul of Tarsus, which becomes Paul the Apostle, but he must first come to saving grace. We'll witness that in our previous or our next teaching in Acts chapter 9. But in Acts chapter 13, his name is changed to Paul the Apostle, or Paul the Apostle, the word apostle comes later, but he's given the name Paul now, not Saul. And back in Acts chapter 7, he consented, he voted uh, for Stephen's death the first deacon of the New Testament church. After his death, listen to this, great persecution came upon the church in Jerusalem. Persecution from Rome, persecution from the religious community known as a Sanhedrin. The 71 elect of Israel who made and pressed on the people the rules and the regulations of the law. We know that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. They were supposed to be leading people to Christ. They were supposed to be leading people to God. They were supposed to be speaking about the oracles of God. And yet they were more concerned about uh, their position. 
They were more concerned about their prestige. They were more concerned about the financial gain uh, that they were partaking of. Uh, notice now, Stephen's death is very important to the early church. In verse 2, devout men. These were not ordinary men, but devout men. They carried Stephen to his burial, and they made great lamentation over him. Uh, the word devout men, these were men of pious spirit. Basically, the word pious means God-fearing men, truly spiritual men. Not like the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin. Jesus called them, and I want you to mark this down. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, uh, he called them whitewashed sepulchers. Now, that's a slap in the face. And then he says, beautiful on the outside, but they were like dead men's bones in the inside. And so when you would go to Israel, they made uh, such a, a big thing of the sepulchers. And they would constantly come and clean them, and they would constantly come and whitewash them. But inside, Jesus said, are dead man's bones. And these he described as the Pharisees. These pious men here in verse 2 of the New Testament church, they buried Stephen. And I want you to see this. They, they had such respect for him. They mourned over him in respect and compassion. And, and I say this to you because many times in the New Testament, we saw it in the Old Testament also, but they would hire professional mourners. For the Jewish people, it's very important that somebody would be mourning for you at your burial site. Uh, in When we study the life of Herod, he was a, a miserable king. Josephus tells us that they hired mourners for Herod because nobody was going to cry for this man. I mean, he was hated by Rome and he was hated by uh, the Jews. So imagine, somebody's crying for you. Some guy, somebody's weeping for you. Oh, she was a good old woman. He was a good old guy. And yet they're, you know, five bucks. And I'll say a little bit more, you know. It's pretty sad when you think about that. And so notice in verse 3 what's taking place. And again, Saul comes into the picture. This eventually will be Paul the Apostle. As for Saul, he made havoc. Uh, this was the man's heart. He made havoc of the church, uh, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The word havoc, Paul came to destroy. He came to ravage. He came to waste these people. This he did uh, to the church. Notice entering house to house of Christians, then dragging them off uh, to prison, men and women. And then he consented. Again, this word to vote. But I have to share this with you. Saul of Tarsus was somebody in, in the religious sector. And so his vote was very powerful. His vote was very demanding. And others probably followed his vote. And so he wanted Stephen dead. And he, they cons he consented. And the others, I believe, followed suit. And so now, going house to house, I, I want you to see the freedoms we have. This is happening in third world countries. 
This morning, when I'm checking the news, because I I like to see what's going on, uh, 30 Christians were uh, brutalized and, and killed in third world countries. This was in Africa. This is something that's happening constantly. And not only men and women, but we're hearing about children that are being beheaded. This is 21st century. 21st century. Yet we have the freedom to come in. I have the freedom this morning. I turn on my radio driving into church and I have about four or five different uh, stations I can listen to. Uh, Christian music, Christian teaching. And if I'm not content with that, I can put my CD in and check music coming in. We have such a freedom, church, but what would happen if that freedom's taken away? You see, persecution brings the gospel. I'm reminded of the church at Smyrna. In the Revelation chapters 2 and 3, uh, we see seven churches of Asia Minor. When you come to the church at Smyrna, she was called the persecuted church. Now, there was an actual church then, but throughout history, there's always been the Smyrna church. There's always been the church under persecution. And it's a fact. The more the persecution, the greater the gospel. The more the persecution, the greater the word of God gets out. And salvations come. Right now, we know that Pastor Saeed is in this Iranian prison. And yet, to our amazement, and praise God, he hasn't been martyred. He's a political figure as well as a religious figure. And yet he's a witness. He's a testimony. Uh, There's another Christian brother in the same prison. And then we hear there's a Marine that's in there. He's been in there for, for several years now. These guys are beaten for their faith. Beaten because they're United States citizens. And yet we hear that their salvations, Muslims, are coming to Christ in that prison. There's something about persecution. There's something about trials, tribulation, hardship, and pain. Uh, Even in our own life, it brings me closer to God. God has my attention when I'm sick. God has my attention when I end up in the hospital. God has my attention, and he gets our attention also. And, And so what is going on in Saul's heart? Yet he he created havoc. The hatred, the animosity uh, against the early church. And yet that death of Stephen, I believe, could not leave him. Look at verse 4 now. Therefore, those who were scattered, this is because of the persecution, went everywhere preaching the word. Notice the preaching of the gospel. Continues even through the hardship, even through death. Not only preach, but we will see as we read, salvations come. Changed lives come because of, of the witness of those that are going through the trial, such as Stephen. Notice, not just in Jerusalem now, but the persecution took the believers eventually uh, to the four corners uh, of the world. This is the first diaspora. They're scattered. But yet when we get to 70 AD, historically we know, biblically we know, That they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. Isn't that the prophecy in the gospel? Let me read it to you. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. uh, The promise given to the early church by Jesus. But you will receive power. 
He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. The word witness is the word martus, which is the word we draw martyr. Uh, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he tells the church, go, wait 10 days, the Holy Spirit would fall upon you. He's quoting the prophecies from Joel chapter 2. And we know in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. Interesting again. I don't like trials. I don't like persecution. I don't like hardship and pain. I don't like when I get a phone call and a brother or sister in Christ is in the hospital. They're in the ICU unit. It does not look good, Pastor Bob. I don't like when I get a, a, a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. I, I look at the uh, prefects and it's from Southern California. Uh, something's wrong. It's my family. And I received those calls in time past when, uh, first of all, it was my father-in-law and he passed away. Then it was my dad. He passed away. Then it was my mom. And yet, these things get you stronger. They get you stronger in the Lord. There were those in our family that were accusing my mom. Uh, how come your mom's not mourning for your dad? She saw my dad suffer. She, know where, she knew where my dad was going. And she was comforted by that. Well, she had her time of mourning. And so persecution now spreads the gospel uh, to Judea and then Samaria. And then in 70 AD, the gospel is going to go to the four corners of the earth. Listen to this verse here. In James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, James is the pastor in Jerusalem. James is also the half-brother of Jesus. And James gives us insight. He says, James, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I've read that. I've studied that. I've taught it. And yet I have to share this with you. It is not easy to live it. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, testing, temptations, persecution. It all comes in the package. And yes, some of us are going to uh, go to the burial site of our loved ones. And God forbid uh, somebody's taken out early, but isn't God in charge? And so we trust him. And so the early church coming to Christ leaps and bounds, but it's not without trial. Look at verse 5. Then Philip. Now, Philip was another one of the deacons, but notice the motivation as the Holy Spirit moves him. Now, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. He didn't look at the persecution as, as a downer. He looked at, at persecution as an opportunity. Lord, use me. And the Spirit of God said, Go to Samaria. The Holy Spirit moves Philip to Samaria, roughly about 36 miles. 36 miles. You think, well, that's not a lot, but yet uh, the gospel has to move on. You have to understand something. Uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans really had nothing to do with the Jews. 
Now, the Jews were considered half-breeds. They were heavily into incest. Their minds were not the same. And yet we read the gospel message. Back in John chapter 4, Jesus went out of his way to meet the woman at the well. Where was she? Samaria. She was the Samaritan woman. And here again, the gospel is beginning to move from Jerusalem. Where does God send it first? He sends it to Samaria. You know, the Jews hated them, but God says, I want to reach out to them. I think sometimes we look at groups of people, or we might look at individual people. Oh, God's never going to reach them. How do you know? How do you know? I'm going to be honest with you. Have you ever prayed for some of the celebrities when we hear the atrocities they're doing? And I mean, plastic surgery upon plastic surgery, husband after husband, wife after wife. And you go, ah, forget them. Hey, pray for them. Pray for them. They need salvation too. A sad commentary, we've seen them all die. Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, and the list goes on. We're called to pray for them, and especially because we have the answer. Now, I was really impressed by this, that the message was being taken uh, 36 miles to Samaria. Years back, over 30 plus years now, uh, we had to go through an ordeal to come here. I mean, it was not easy to leave Southern California. Uh, that was our cup of tea. Born, raised there. And I said, Lord, New Mexico? How can I leave the Lakers? How can I leave the Dodgers? How can I leave, you know, and the list goes, Lord, Disneyland, what am I going to do? The mountains, the oceans. And then somebody says, the real grand, the real grand, you can walk across it. Come on. So once we got settled here, it wasn't too long after. The Lord spoke to my heart, Bob, start a Bible study in El Paso. And now we see Calvary Chapel there with Pastor uh, Charlie. Wasn't too long after that, uh, the Holy Spirit said again. There was a beautiful brother that was coming to church here. Uh, when he would come to visit from New York, he was working in the mission field, preparing missionaries to go out. It was Joseph Gross. And his family, his uh, mother-in-law, father-in-law were part of our church. They would come all the way from Silver City every Sunday morning to be here. And so Joe comes to me and he says, hey, uh, pray for me. I I'm ready to leave New York. I want to start a Calvary Chapel. I don't know where. And the Spirit said, I know where. I says, you have your in-laws in Silver City. I go, go start something there. And so we helped Joe there. And he's got a flourishing Calvary Chapel there. And then time passed by again. And we started Calvary Chapel in Alamogordo. Bible study first. And Pastor Rick took over there. And then it was pretty quiet for a while. And naturally, I would always look around our vicinity here. We were the first Calvary Chapel. Yet, Pastor Skip was way up in Albuquerque. And then the Lord put on my heart, Deming. I said, Deming, Lord. Who lives in Deming, Lord? Come on. Well, Pastor Marshall is there. We started the Bible study. A year later, he comes to me. God spoke into my heart. I'm supposed to take the church over now. It was a Bible study. I says, well, let me pray. Talk to Joe. He was part of Joe's ministry. 
Marshall's doing great there. We have to be open. It's not your church. Philip, go to Samaria. All right. Persecution, Lord. I'm glad to get out of Jerusalem. And he goes to Samaria. I'm sure there were some of the Jews that said, hey, what are you doing in Samaria? Don't you know we're supposed to hate them? Isn't that our flesh nature? But yet God was going to do a work. Verse 5 again, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. Look at the outcome in verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord, and it's not a vehicle, but one mind, one heart, one desire, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles, signs, and wonders which he did. And so the word of God is generally followed with salvations. Here, healings came first. Interesting, when you study the life of Jesus, his ministry was threefold, a preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching is always for the non-believer. Teaching is for the believer. But it's interesting that healings, God heals the believer and the non-believer. And so healings began to take place. And so we see this in the gospel message. And because of the preaching, because of the teaching, because of the healing, conviction comes to those that don't know Christ. And then conviction brings them to the cross. Now I say that God heals believer, non-believer. Remember the story of the ten lepers? He healed all ten. They were not believers. But he reached out to them. The Bible says one leper came back. The other ones got their healing. They took off, went back into the world. But signs and wonders are taking place in Samaria now. In, in verse 7, for unclean spirits, and just to show you what was going on in Samaria. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And, and many who were paralyzed and were lame. But God healed them. That's the compassion of God. That's the love of God. That is the concern for mankind. I believe we see the reason of the healings. There was much demon possession. Not oppression, but oppression is there. I'm talking about demon possession. Notice the foul spirits were crying out with a loud voice. Then there were those who were paralyzed. Those that were lame and God healed them. But I want you to see the word possessed here. Uh, when a person is truly possessed by the devil, uh, truly possessed by a demon, uh, their ability is overtaken. Their ability is overtaken and they are put under control of demon power. The demons have them. They have a hold of them. Notice that they cried out in voices. Uh, the Greek word is languages there. If so, some type of demonic words were being said. And this is why some of the uh, mainstream churches don't like when the church uh, speaks in tongues. I'm not against the speaking in tongues. I believe it's a gift of God. I believe it's a prayer language between you and God. I don't believe you're to stand up and, and blurt out a message or a passage 
or something in tongues. That's a prayer time for you and the Lord. And if there is a tongue spoken, the Bible says there has to be an interpretation. And if there is a true interpretation, it will follow Acts chapter 2, verse 11. Those that were speaking in tongues, 120 in the upper room, they spoke the wonderful works of God. It was not a prophetic message. So many times I, I see prophetic messages coming forth. Not so. Now, there were those in Samaria, remember, they're half-breeds. Remember, incest is very big there. Uh, their minds, many of them, deranged. And so the demons were working there. People were hurting. People were in trouble. And there is a difference of somebody being possessed, taken over, and I believe they can be set free through power of prayer and fasting, but it's not an easy task. Uh, years ago here at the chapel, uh, we had a young lady that was coming to church with her mom, and she had a lot of problems, you know, a lot of emotional problems, and she had a lot of uh, oh, medical problems. And uh, so mom came in one day and said, uh, you guys need to pray for her. You need to lay hands on her. I believe she's demon-possessed. And so I remember at that time, Pastor Jay and I and a couple of other guys, we prayed for her. Uh, she's a sweet, sweet girl. She came here in her early teens, and then uh, she eventually got into her 20s, and she still had the problems. We prayed for her. Now, I have seen demon-possessed people. You will know. Uh, one day, we laid hands on her. My hand was on her. Her head, now we were praying, we had anointed her. She starts to get up. And literally, my hand was too heavy for her, and she didn't get, get away from me. And we kept praying. And another time, before I prayed for her, uh, she stopped me. She says, before you pray for me, uh, there's somebody behind you. And I said, who's behind me? And she says, it's an angel. I says, is it a good angel or a bad angel? And she says, I don't know. Well, I says, we'll leave it alone. I want to pray for you. You see, if she was demon-possessed, my hand, my two hands, would not have been able to hold her down. Demons will throw you. Demons will knock you down like a, like a leaf. And so, you know, she moved on. They moved out to another state. Uh, we got word that she was doing better, but we haven't heard anything since. And she did come to Christ, but she had a lot of struggles. But here, these people are demon-possessed. And the power of God was releasing them. And these were being seen now by others. And so the evidence was there. Look at verse 8. And there was great joy in the city of Samaria. I love what Pastor Chuck says here in this little commentary. Chuck says, great joy always comes with revival. Great joy always comes with revival. And God saves those that we might think, oh, they're never going to come to church. They're never going to come to saving grace. And God heals those that we think they're never going to walk. Well, that one's been demon-possessed for a long time. And yet the power of God. 
And many times the miracle signs and wonders have to take place in order to move upon the hearts of the people. But those are benefits that God gives us. But the greatest healing, listen to me, is salvation. That's the greatest healing. So a work is being done in Samaria. But a gentleman comes into the picture. He's called Simon the Sorcerer. And he comes to the Lord. But I want you to pay attention. It says that he follows Philip. Didn't say that he follows Jesus. Is he saved? I don't know. We're still going to see him more uh, in the next couple of chapters or, or the next couple of readings. But look at verse 9 here. But there was a certain man called Simon uh, who previously practiced sorcery or the magical arts in the city. And, and notice that it says he astonished the people of Samaria. The word astonished, he bewitched them, claiming that he was someone great. And so he had them bamboofled, if you may. He took over their lives. And they were under his spell, under his power. He was called Simon Magnus, Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, there's a lot of historical writing about this particular man. Ancient writings say much of Simon the Sorcerer. I want to give you a, a few insights. I don't know how true they are, but the ancients wrote about him. Uh, strange accounts of this man. Here's just a few. They say that he pretended to be the father who gave the law to Moses. And people bought into it. He claimed to come uh, into the region of Ti and Tiberias in the person of the son of that father. I mean, I mean, this guy took it to the hill and people believed it. Claims that he came uh, upon the apostles at Pentecost. In the book of Acts in chapter 2, yes, in flames of fire, he claimed he was the Messiah. He claimed he was the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but he was Jupiter. Now, you and I can sit here. I read these things, and I said, I'm not going to share, but he's going to laugh. This was reality in the time. The ancients are writing, not just a few of these guys, Josephus, probably the most a regarded historian. He speaks about Simon Magnus. And so this man was part of the ordeal in Samaria. He astonished the people. Uh, he mesmerized them. He put them in spells. Uh, he bewitched them with the magical arts. But I want you to see this. Please don't forget. Jesus in John chapter 4 went out of his way to visit Samaria. He had a compassion. He wanted to see them come to saving grace. Here's the persecution. Uh, good time to get you out of Jerusalem. Uh, by the way, Philip, I want you to go over to Samaria. You know, I love this about Jesus. He cared for the Samaritans. And listen, this is why I love this about Jesus. He cared about me. He reached out to me. He cared about you. He reached out to you. In a sense, we're all uh, living in Samaria at one time or another. In a sense, we're all living in Babylon. We're all part of Egypt. And yet God saw us and he reached out to us. And this Simon 
Magus was a sorcerer. He was a sorcerer. And so notice now, let's stay with Simon. They all paid attention to him in verse 10, uh, to whom they all gave heed to this Simon the sorcerer. And notice in Samaria, from the least to the greatest, saying this man is a great power of God. How easy we can be duped. How easy uh, the blinders will come on. How easy uh, the ears can get stopped up. How easy the heart can become callous and we believe the lie. Paul told the Corinthians, there's another gospel, there's another spirit, and there's another Jesus being preached out there. Listen to me. It's been preached like that for 2,000 years. There's a gentleman right now, and I've shared with you many times, it, it frustrates me. Jose Luis Miranda, uh, very popular in the Florida area. He has three churches, and they're booming. He claims to be Christ now, 21st century. And people going to the church, people giving them their tithes or offerings, people clapping and, you know, partaking of worship. This man's a heretic. This man, I believe, is demon-possessed. But yet God desires to do a work. I want you to turn to Galatians uh, chapter 3 real quick. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul speaks about justification by faith in Christ, not in the law. There was a group called the Judaizers, uh, they had infiltrated Galatia, and uh, they were telling everybody, Jesus is okay, the gospel is okay, but listen, you got to follow the law. And they pressed uh, on the men circumcision. And, and so all of this was caught up, and some of the Galatians were going back to the law. Notice what Paul writes to them. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Uh, the word foolish in the Greek, you empty-headed, and I'm not going to say the word the S word, but dumb Galatians, because my grandchildren don't like that word. You empty-headed, dumb Galatians. That's a translation. Who has bewitched you? Listen, who has charmed you? That's the translation. Who has put a spell on you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you crucified. This only I want to learn from you. In verse 2, did you receive the Spirit uh, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's by faith that we come to salvation. Are you so foolish again, you empty-headed? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. And then in verse 4, because the Galatians had gone through a lot of ordeal. Have you suffered so many things in vain? 
Have you gone through trials, tribulation, hardship, pain, persecution? Is it all in vain? If indeed it was in vain. No, it was real. And didn't God set you free? Didn't God send his son to set you free? And so, listen to the exhortation that Paul was given to the Galatians. Now, let's go back to our text. Now, here, uh, Luke is a physician that's writing uh, the book of Acts. And he brings it forth so clear. Uh, this sorcerer, Simon Magnus, this guy with the magical arts and, and the spells and such, he had them. But something takes place here now. And look at verse 11. Book of Acts chapter 8. And they heeded him. They heeded Simon's instruction. Because he had astonished them with his sorcery. Listen, for a long time. This sorcery, this bewitching went on for a long time. They heeded him. They regarded him. He captivated them. I would say year after year, he brought something new, something fresh. And it's interesting. Uh, I've been in the ministry long enough. Isn't the word of God sufficient? Why is it that there's those Christians that are always looking for something new, something fresh? Maybe there's a new fire over here. Maybe there's a new fire over there. Uh, listen. Some of you that have been Christians long enough, you know what I'm talking about. You've been a Christian 20, 30, 40 years or more. Mary and I have seen the astonishing things of ministry come and go eventually, pass. But the Word of God remains. The Word of God remains. I, I want to ask you this. What happened to holy laughter? Remember that one? What happened to holy barking? People that would look like animals, act like animals. People that laughed. I saw videotapes. I never went to a service. I didn't want to go to a service. But people uncontrollably laughing. People barking, supposedly in the spirit. And then we wonder why the mainstream church says, don't have anything to do with the gifts of the spirit. They go wacko. And so... This stuff has been going on for the longest time. Uh, I don't have to remind you. Those that teach, drink poison. If you're of God, the poison's not going to hurt you. Handle snakes. It's not going to hurt you. And yet we see some of the poisons take their life. And we see some of the snakes, they're deadly. And they die. You know what's still popular is not as popular as it used to be. The faith and prosperity movement. Brother, you are not to be poor. Well, go preach that to the Christians that live in Juarez. That live in the Colonias. Go preach that. Go take your gospel over there. In fact, give them your money if that's what you want. You see, it doesn't hold up. Uh, the faith and prosperity and healing. Brother, you should not be sick. Confess that. Don't confess that. Don't cough. Don't sneeze. I, I'm, I'm telling you, there was a beautiful brother here in our community. God bless him. I hope he's learned his lesson. And uh, I got word. He was on 
the last floor at MMC. The last floor is for psychiatric care. But nobody was supposed to know he was there. I said, if I know, there's others that know. He needs treatment just like anybody else. Oh, I'm not crazy. I'm okay. Listen, faith and prosperity. Does God have those in, uh, in the church that are prosperous? Yes. Does God have those in the church that he heals? Yes. But be careful when you push that doctrine. You know, those of us been in ministry or been a Christian a long time, we all can remember Jimmy Baker. And praise God, he's repented. We can all remember uh, Jimmy Swagger. And praise God, he repented. And then we have the Robert Tiltons. He has to be exposed by uh, television. I think it was called that program 2020 or 48. Uh, I mean, incredible, 48 minutes or whatever it's called. Uh, Robert Schuller, the Crystal Cathedral, he just passed away. I mean, he built up an empire. And I tell you, I saw that Crystal Cathedral there in Garden Grove, California. And all I could think of was Windex because it was all made out of glass. Well, he lost everything. He went bankrupt. He died of cancer recently. Uh, his doctrine was positive thinking. I hope and pray he's come to the Lord. Uh, there's a few others. I'm not going to mention names that uh, are very popular on television. Do you know their doctrine? Let me tell you what's creeping into the church right now. Uh, Chris Slum. Chris Slum. Christianity and the Muslim faith marrying together. Interesting, as I read the book of Revelation, Antichrist is going to bring in one world economy, one world government, and one world church. Be careful. Be careful. And so Simon the sorcerer had an agenda. Had an agenda. I want you to write this down in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19. We are not to add or take away from God's word. Let's give them from Genesis to Revelation. And right now, those of you coming on Sunday mornings, we began in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to take it to the conclusion of the book of Acts. We had started years back, a couple of years ago, that is, in the Gospel of John, and we took it all the way. You cannot miss when you take context and you start from chapter 1 and take it all the way. Look at verse 12 now. But they believed Philip. Now, there's obviously a revival going on in Samaria. Uh, yet Simon Magnus had a, a, a great following. But all of a sudden, something is changing. But when they believed Philip, in verse 12, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, both men and women, listen, were baptized. Now, obviously, to me, they came to saving grace first, and then water baptism followed. Remember that salvation is the importance. Salvation is an inward work. God works in my heart. Water baptism is an outward work. Praise God that you want to be water baptized. In, in Romans chapter 6, we go into the water. We are submerged. 
And we're reckoning the old man, the old woman, dead. But that's the outward work. And if you never get baptized, but you've come to saving grace, God's going to honor that. I know there are some churches, uh, brother, she wasn't baptized. Brother, he wasn't baptized. But he came to Christ. She came to Christ. That's the key. Something happens to Simon the sorcerer. Simon Magnus, look at uh, verse 13. Then Simon himself believed. Simon himself believed. And when he was baptized, so salvation first, and then he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed. Seeing the miracle signs which were done. Now, I, ha I have to ask the question. And I'm not Simon's judge. But did Simon truly come to salvation in Christ Jesus by grace through faith? Or was the attraction of the miracle signs and wonders, or was there true repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction? Just because you make a lip service, just because you answer by raising your hand, I want Jesus, just because uh, you're Billy Graham, and you walk up the old sawdust trail, that's the way they described it in the time of Billy Sunday, and you make a commitment to Christ. That's great, but Billy Graham would be the first one to tell you. Not all of those stick with Christianity. Not all of them. Oh, the invitations, I believe, do it. You know, we've had water baptisms every year, and there's a particular youngster, he's not a youngster anymore, started when he was a teen, and I baptized him, and I shared this with you. And so finally when I counted up about six, seven times, uh, I baptized him. Somebody asked me, Bob, Pastor Bob, huh? you're going to keep baptizing him? I says, yeah, maybe one day it's going to stick. Maybe one day I'll keep him down just long enough. <laughs> But God does the work in the heart. I go to ICU, Pastor. Uh, they gave up the ghost about an hour ago. I wish you would have been here. I said, listen, I, I, I was on my way. They passed on. And God knows their heart. If they cried out, the Bible says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that take? You have to make an altar call? Praise God. But what if you're in a dying bed situation? Lord, Save me. You mean it from your heart, he's going to save you. It's very important that we see this. Simon the sorcerer comes to saving grace. But we're going to see, as we continue to study, when he sees the power of God's Spirit working in and through Peter, he wants to buy the Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully, he just had the wrong intentions but somewhere, somehow, there has to be a change. There has to be a transformation. I go back to 1979. I can tell you it was 9.30 in the morning. I can tell you the message was on the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that I walked up. I did not know my wife walked up, but she walked out of the pews the other way, and we were both up in the front crying like a baby. Something happened. And we were just in California at the wedding. We sat at the table with my cousin Michael and his wife Vivian. And we laughed the whole night because they're the ones that took us to church. 
And I said, Michael, thank you for pushing for Mary and I to go to church. And he goes, well, Bob, you were a tough nut to crack. I said, thank you. You know, God does not give up on us. You're out there praying for somebody. And you have to believe by faith. God, get a hold of them. And don't be thinking, uh, they're never, God, you're never going to reach this guy. Listen, Saul of Tarsus was pretty bad. Yet God reached out to him. Simon Magnus here. God reached out to him. Peter, stubborn Peter, denies the Lord three times. God reached out to him. Mary Magdalene. Love that lady in scripture. She's the first one at the empty tomb. Tell me where you have laid him. She thought she was talking uh, to the gardener. And it was when the gardener, which was Jesus, said, Mary, she recognized this voice. She was so grateful. She was a woman that seven demons were cast out. I want to leave you with this passage. In Ephesians chapter 2, you all know it. I quoted it earlier, pervadum. Look at uh, verses 8 through 10. Salvation is a gift from God that we receive by faith. He begins in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved uh, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God. And I love verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, the word workmanship has always impressed me. I'm no Greek scholar at all. I just read my Greeks, you know, lexicons. And, uh, the Greek word is poema, where we gather our English word, a poem. And, and, you know, I am not a poet by any chance, but in our 45 years of, of marriage, I've written my wife little trinkets, you know. Honey, I love you, boo-boo bear, and all that. You know how it goes. <laughs> she's not here. She's up in the, in the mountains, so she didn't hear. <laughs> but it's my own poem. It's your own poem. And then you're in the market, boo-boo bears home. Oh, please, not now. <laughs> but we're his handiwork. Listen, we're his work of art. We're his art in progress. I love that. Is God finished with me? No. Is God finished with you? No. Was God finished with Simon Magnus? No. And that's the beauty of coming to the Lord. Sometimes it takes persecution. Sometimes it takes trial. Sometimes it takes hardship and pain. Sometimes it takes death in the family. Every time I've preached to my family because a loved one has died, they all come and they're going to hear me. And I'm not there to put them down. I'm there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of my family is very strong Catholic. But I'm always asked, and I still baffle that they ask me uh, to speak at the gravesite. You know, the, the priest does all that he's supposed to do. And then they usually take off and uh, they say, okay, you can speak now. I, I don't want to cross their path. 
I'm, a, I'm an invited guest. I'm not a Catholic anymore, but I, I don't want to upset anybody. And so I'm given five minutes, ten minutes, and they know they're going to hear a message. And I give a message of hope quickly. Your water baptism doesn't save you. Your Holy Communion doesn't save you. Your confirmation doesn't save you. All those are good sacraments. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can save you. And so Simon Magnus, we're not through with him, but persecution brings the gospel. The gospel brings salvation. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the joy that comes even through trials, even through hardship, even through pain, even through persecution, as we see here. And Lord, I don't want anybody to leave here this morning without the opportunity. If you're here uh, this morning, uh, listening to the CD later, whatever it might be, uh, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to come to Christ for the first time, or you want to rededicate that life, don't be embarrassed. Just raise your hand real quick. I see your hand up here in the front. Anybody else would like to rededicate that life or make a commitment to Christ for the first time? Anybody? And let's pray for this gentleman here this morning. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I, I lift up this brother unto you, Lord. Uh, the struggles and the pains, whatever he's going through, coming to Christ for the first time or rededicating that life. Either way, we come to Christ in true repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. In a sense, we're all prodigal sons. We're all prodigal daughters that need a Savior. And so we come back to the Father. Lord, the Scripture says, uh, if one sheep leaves out of the and 99 are left, you will leave the 99 and go after that one sheep. And so, Father, thank you for a changed life coming to you now. And we ask you to bestow upon him the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so, Father, bless those that have come this morning. And Lord, bless the offerings this morning. And Lord, uh, we pray for our ladies, get them home safely. And we just thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen.